Greeting, folks. This is Eric Sinrod sitting out by the San Francisco Bay on the line with my great friend and colleague, Jonathan Armstrong from Cordery. I'm with uh, Dwayne Morris, as you know. This is your weekly Tech Law 10, where the law and information technology intersect. And Jonathan, you're thinking Google today, right? I am. I'm searching for the right title. Um, but uh, many of you will know already that this week's big tech law news is the 50 million euro fine for Google from uh, Canal, the French Data Protection Authority. And I thought it would be interesting to look at a couple of the aspects of this case. Um, first of all, welcome back a feature from many of our podcasts, Max Schrems. He and his pressure group are in some respects the origin of this case. So uh, Schrems founded a pressure group called uh, None of Your Business, and they made one of the first complaints under GPR, uh, GDPR on the day it came in, May 25th, to uh, Keneal, the French regulator, uh, about Google's uh, privacy practices. And they were joined uh, two or three days later by a French pressure group, Le Quadrature du Net, who uh, made similar complaints to uh, Keneal. And uh, uh, Le Quadrature du Net said that their complaint was made on behalf of some 10,000 data subjects. And the complaints effectively were with uh, uh, the Schrems Group and uh, Le Quadrature du Net saying that Google didn't have a valid legal basis to process the personal data of users of, of its services, particularly when it came to serving ads, particularly on Android, so Google's uh, uh, mobile platform. And they complained that effectively Google relied on uh, enforced consent, so consent that wasn't really freely given because there was no other option other than consenting. So there wasn't this, this uh, ability to negotiate your own terms with Google around consent, what uh, French academics in the past have called are you ready for the erudite uh, attempt here, Eric? Uh, a contra d'adhesion. So there wasn't that that meeting of the minds, uh, 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 which, which included free will of both of the parties. So uh, you might remember from our early discussions that theoretically, at least, these complaints are generally uh, anticipated to be dealt with under what's called the one-stop shop mechanism under GDPR. So theoretically, what would ordinarily happen is uh, Canil, the French regulator, would work out who the lead data protection authority was likely to be in Europe, and they would pass that complaint onto that lead DPA. And in this case, it, uh, if there was a lead DPA, it would have been Ireland. However, in this case, Canil said that it wasn't a one-stop shop case, basically because of uh, decisions about the, what ha was happening with the data, not in Canil's uh, view, being taken in Ireland, but that saying that effectively Google were working out how data was handled in the US and not in Ireland. And as a result, that meant that the Irish regulator would not uh, be the lead regulator under, under this one-stop shop mechanism, but any EU data protection authority could investigate itself. 
and this is significant to the levels of fines. We'll come on to this in a minute. So what happened next is that uh, Keneal did a very quick investigation um, on, uh, so we said the, uh, the, the complaints are launched May 25th. On May 25th, a dialogue is opened up at the EDPB, this uh, meeting of cross-border regulators. So the same day as the complaints, the dialogue starts between regulators. And on June 1st, Keneal formally involved the Irish DPA in this one-stop shop discussion. Um, and by uh, September 2018, uh, Keneal have resolved, in their view at least, the one-stop shop thing. They've started their own investigation. And they only take a matter of a few weeks to replicate the things that the pressure groups have complained about. It's, a, it's principally a desk-based investigation. And they then tell Google that they intend to find them and give them an indicative number. And so this happens very rapidly. The, the, the sort of perceived delay between that happening around about October time and the announcement now is just giving Google time to make representations, et cetera, it seems. And, and can you decide that, that Google has breached uh, data privacy in two ways. First of all, it's breached the transparency obligations under GDPR. Again, we've talked about this in other podcasts, in the Evans Diary case, for example, where there's an obligation under GDPR to deal with data in a, in a lawful, fair, and transparent way. So you have to tell people what you're going to do with their data. And secondly, they failed to establish a legitimate ground for handling the data. There's always this confusion around whether people are relying on a ground called legitimate interest or whether they're relying on consent. Uh, it seemed that Google were relying on consent, but uh, Camille said that that wasn't good enough because different parts of their policies were in different places. And as a result, Google could not prove that the consent was specific and unambiguous. Particular issue being the fact that some of the options were pre-ticked, pre-checked, pre you'd say. So I know it's prevalent on the internet to see you to get a, you know, an I accept button where the, where the tick or the check has already been applied, and you just press confirm. In most cases under GDPR, that box must be empty. You must have an affirmative action to indicate consent. And here, because the default was that you consented, that wasn't good enough to, to meet that threshold. So Camille imposed a fine of 50 million euros. In some respects, that's a result for Google. The fine could have been 3.9 billion euros, so substantial fines. But as I've said, there is this worry that other regulators could pitch in. Because it's not a one-stop shop case, it's open, theoretically at least, to any regulator to say, this is very interesting. I'm going to have a piece of that pie as well. So um, it seems to be the case that the Swedish regulator has already said, yep, we're going to look at this as well. And there was a similar investigation under the old rules against Google where uh, Camille shared their working, working papers with the Dutch authorities, with the Spanish authorities, who subsequently issued penalty notices as well. So watch this space. If I was a betting man, I would say it's not going to finish at 50 million. And the other reason why it may not finish at 50 million is the fact that there's a potential for civil actions as a result. Now, the number of complaints under GDPR is huge. 
France alone has already received 6,000 complaints. The figure is substantially higher in countries like the UK, where are around the 20,000 uh, um, uh, 20, level. So regulators have enough complaints to deal with. And I think many regulators will be looking at this Kennell investigation thinking, well, hang on, the investigation maybe lasted for about three or four weeks. It was desk-based. It took a very little resources. And you've just you know, effectively sent an invoice to Google for 50 million euros uh, for that work. So regulators, I think, are undoubtedly going to be looking at this case as an indication uh, of how enforcement could work, particularly when you've got pressure groups like the Quadrature du Net and, uh, and uh, NOYB who are prepared to do some of the legwork for them. So I think it shows us that in appropriate cases, DPAs will act fairly quickly, quickly and they will find. So a few key learnings if we've got time for it. I think lesson number one, transparency. We've said it 20 times already on these podcasts since GDPR came in. We'll say it once more. Secondly, be clear on the basis you're relying on to obtain data. If it's consent, you're going to have to make sure that you've got that um, set of screenshots to prove how consent is established and it's full and informed consent, et cetera, et cetera. Thirdly, if you're relying on one-stop shop and you're cozying up to one regulator of the EU, particularly, particularly if you're a U.S. corporation, that strategy is unlikely to apply in every case. Uh, Google have announced a reorganization within 24 hours to try and make sure that the Irish regulator is their regulator next time around. So you'll need to put those structural changes in place. Any organization, big or small, smaller organizations, it's more important because they don't want to have to deal with 20 plus regulators each time they do business. Fourthly, privacy action groups will have success. Uh, this is obviously a victory for them as well in some respects. Fifth, uh, GDPR's wide extraterritorial reach. As you know, I was in New York last week. We had some crazy people who said, EU regulators just don't have the guts to take on a major US corporation. I thought it was silly nonsense saying that last week, uh, and I think it's even more silly nonsense to say that last this week. EU regulators have a track record of enforcing EU rules more aggressively against U.S. corporations, not less. This case tells us that. Uh, sixthly, I've only got seven. Uh, sixthly, privacy regulators <laughs> <laughs> can act fairly quickly and with relative ease. As I said, this looks to be a relatively simple investigation uh, from Keneal. Uh, and lastly, class actions are here to stay. Almost certainly we're going to see a follow-on representative action, group action, on the basis of these findings. And so I think it is a truly uh, significant case for everybody. It, it, there, is, there aren't just lessons to be learned here for the big, uh, the big boys in data. There's lessons for us all. And, uh, and I think it's a very interesting case. Jonathan Armstrong, 2019. I told you folks in the last podcast that Jonathan is locked and loaded this year. <laughs> anyway, I'm, sit I'm sitting by the water, and I'm literally I'm sitting by the water. And Jonathan, I think for the purposes of a 10 in Tech Law 10, you've certainly covered the waterfront. For, so thank you for educating us. I, I'm not going to really chime in too much here. Um, simply to say and note, Max Schrems, his name comes up again. I'm sure we've heard his name across at least a dozen podcasts over the probably, what have we had, about 250 podcasts or more at this point. Yeah. Um, 
The only thing I'll chime in on is simply say, don't you believe that when it comes to the informed consent piece, it's really just a matter of simple technology just to make sure the informed consent is done properly. Isn't that right? I think quite often you are going to be looking at innovative solutions. I think you've got, I've got some sympathy for Google in that it's harder on a mobile device. But, yeah. you know, you can put an Armstrong on the moon. This, uh, this isn't something that's beyond the wit of man. Neil Armstrong, who went on the moon, who I knew because he, he lived, his family lived in my neighborhood when I was growing up. His son went to my, uh, my middle school. So oh, really? anyway, that's a, yes, that's very true. I, I met Neil Armstrong. The real Neil Armstrong. I think the famous Armstrong's podcast coming. Yeah, that's right. Not the Ryan Gos- <laughs> not not the Ryan Gosling Armstrong from the recent movie, but the actual Neil Armstrong. <laughs> okay, folks. Well, listen. This has been our Tech Law Ten. Let's thank Jonathan Armstrong again for uh, a magnificent performance as we start out 2019. You know how to reach us. Um, uh, you know through the usual social media outlets. Uh, my email address is ejsinrod at duanemorris.com. We appreciate your thoughts and comments in terms of other topics we'll handle in the future. Jonathan, briefly, why don't you close it down? Well, thanks very much, Eric. Thanks for the kind words. Enjoy the view over the lake. It sounds magnificent. Jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. Obviously, you can use your favorite search engine to find us too. Any comments you've got, we'd welcome over LinkedIn. All that remains is to thank you for listening. 